Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited about a new opportunity, uh, a new project that I'm working on with uh, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lenny Weinstock. The two of us are working on an MCAS documentary. This is something that we've been really excited about and been thinking about for a number of years, but we finally have an amazing partner at the LDN Research Trust. Um, and they were, we are gonna work together to um, put this documentary on. Um, we plan to have this, do- this documentary really is a way of reaching um, the public and the medical professionals. We really feel it's important to educate uh, patients and their caregivers, but I think also important to educate the medical profession. We want to get the word out. And so this is going to be the type of project that is going to, we're going to get into medical schools, we're going to get into training programs, and we're going to provide um, links to um, PowerPoint presentations and other things. This this documentary, I think, can have a far-reaching effect on, on many people. MCAS really you know, probably affects uh, 17% or more of the population. So this is a large number, lots of people potentially affected. Um, and so this is a project that I think um, can be, um, is, is much, much needed. Um, we uh, we are in the fundraising stages. It's in, it's an you know important process, um, unfortunately. Um, and uh, but you know whatever people could give, even a small amount, would be you know so appreciated. We just can't do this without um, some funds to to pay for the for the for the process of, of filming um, and pay for the people who are helping us work you know on this. The website um, that you could find out more information on is um, mcasfund.com. That's m-c-a-s-fund.com. And all the information there about donating can be found there. Thank you. I'd like to introduce our guest, Dr. Tanya Dempsey. Thank you for joining us today, Tanya. Thank you for having me. So could you tell us, you know, what is your background? Yes. So um, I've had an interesting journey in medicine. um, And, you know, my background really is internal medicine. um, But uh, I've sort of made my way into a into a realm uh, so much more than that. What I what I'll say is that, you know, I've, I've known that I wanted to be a doctor, since I was probably five years old. Um, I always knew I wanted to help people. Uh, It sounds so cliche, but that's really what I used to say, you know, I just want to help people. And, um, you know, when I went into medicine, um, it was a really straight path. You know, I, I, I saw the vision. Um, I was going to, I was going to, you know, be, sit with patients, talk to them, help them figure out their problems. I always sort of knew that was the way you had to do things. And it's interesting when I was in training, um, I really, um, sort of saw, uh, I guess, a, a way of doing medicine that was probably not totally in line with 
what I really believe medicine should be. And it took me a number of years to, to veer off and do the type of medicine that I think patients deserve. But, um, you know, I went through sort of a, a standard uh, path. I went, I went to undergraduate at Cornell University. I went to Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, which is really considered one of the top or the top medical school in the country. And I had a really amazing education. Um, but all along, while I was being educated in, um, you know, allopathic medicine, um, I was exploring a side of me that um, just was important to me. I was sort of separating the two things. Here's medicine, here's how you treat patients. And this is me, this is my body. I was very, very interested in, I was actually bodybuilding, believe it or not. Um, so I was extra, you know, I was working out. I was, I was thinking about my, the food and, and the impact food was having on me and my muscles. I was thinking about, um, uh, nutrition in general, lifestyle, lots of lots of layers to this. And I was doing all that and trying to, to be the best that I could be while going to school and not learning about any of that. You know, I think like our nutrition lecture was maybe, you know, 15 minutes long or something, maybe it's a half an hour, but um, nonetheless, it was really, you know, a really, I think about it as really like two sides of me, the side that um, was, you know, learning uh, the science, um, the, the way, uh, again, allopathic medicine is practiced. And then the part of me that understood that there's stuff that happens, there's so much more that we don't understand. And there's a way of living and there's a way of understanding that um, you can't just get uh, through the through the science. And so I was trying to sort of really kind of like put those two parts together. And, you know, when I left um, when I left medical school and I went to residency, which I did in New York City um, at NYU, um, New York University, um, I, um, again, had a great training. It was very hands-on. I really understood how to treat acute presentations of, of illness. And what it, what it occurred to me over time, though, was that a lot of what I was seeing was were patients that were not well-managed generally. You know, they had chronic diseases that, that really overtook their life. And then, of course, when they were, uh, they wound up with an acute exacerbation of something that they were dealing with, they would um, wind up in the hospital and we would take care of them. And then they would go back and live their life and no one else, you know, no one really would teach them about other things that they needed to do to, to live a better life. But also no one was really looking, digging deeper to see if there was a real underlying cause, real problem that was driving any of their symptoms. And, and that always sort of was in the back of my mind. And then when I left a training and I, and I went into a, a traditional medical practice where I was doing internal medicine, I, um, you know, I would see patients and I really love the relationship between me and my patients. I really love to get to know them. I really feel that there's like, there's a therapeutic uh, part of it that, that patients can open up. I can dig deeper and I can understand all the aspects of their life, which helps me treat them better. And so what would happen is, you know, in a traditional model here in the States, you really have to see patients, you know, very quickly. You don't have a lot of time five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes at most. And I just, I didn't, I didn't, couldn't manage in, the, in that time period to really get to know the patients. And so I always ran late and I always was sort of reprimanded for spending too much time with my patients. And the more time I spent though, the more I understood there were these chronic issues that patients were um, dealing with that, that didn't make sense to anybody else. 
but I knew they made sense. And I, and I really wanted to understand all that more. And so I, I dig deeper. I, I researched, I scoured the literature whenever I could. I went to conferences and I started to really understand that what I, and with the help of some, some other, some colleagues, I started to understand that, that I really was practicing a type of medicine that was maybe a little beyond the traditional model. And so we call it integrative medicine. I think it's so much more than that. But um, but I remember having a conversation with a colleague uh, that I had met at a conference and he said, um, you know, tell me a little bit about your practice. And I explained things and he said, oh, you do integrative medicine. And I said, what's that? I just thought that's the way you practice medicine. I always thought that you spend time with patients you uncover the deep layers of things that are going on. You figure out how different symptoms in different parts of the body are related to each other. Like that just seemed natural because that's always the way I thought, but not taught in 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 uh, training. And um, and so once he he said that he planted that seed, I said, "All right, let me let me start exploring this more." And I I finally left that practice. I started my own practice, really with the intention of. Um, you know, doing the work that I wanted to do without having, you know, big brother sort of looking over me and telling me how much time I could spend with patients. I could spend an hour, two hours, four hours, however long I needed to figure it out. And and it's funny, when I started my practice, I really thought that no one was going to come and see me. I really thought I started in a small little office and I said, I mean, how many patients are really going to come? You know, like, I don't think this is really, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, and, um, and they came and they came quickly and they, and it grew quickly. And the more patients that came and the more I had the opportunity to really explore all the pieces of what they were dealing with, the more you, you know, you start to uncover things that you don't understand, right? The more, you know, the less, you know, kind of thing. So, um, really it was, um, a couple of patients that really brought some things to to the surface that, or to my attention, that started to push me in a direction of of uh, complex multi system chronic diseases. Actually, the first thing was really um, uh, a lecture that I went to by a colleague, Dr. Richard Horowitz, who's a leading Lyme and tick-borne infection specialist. And I, I was speaking at the same conference as he was. I spoke about another topic, and he spoke about his topic, and I spoke to him afterwards. He asked me about my practice, and um, he said, oh, so you must see a lot of Lyme disease in the area where you practice medicine. And I said, maybe, I, you know, it's not that much. And he said, well you know, yes, it is. You just don't, you just don't know. And, um, and that started me really starting to look at things that maybe I was missing in my patients. That was the first step. And the second step was a patient that really was so complex that I could not, I could not reconcile the things that she was dealing with. And, um, what happened was I, I think one late night, um, searching and searching and searching, I came across a condition known as mast cell activation syndrome. And this is sort of the long story where like it takes me to really my my life's work now, I think, is in this in this realm of this condition known as mast cell activation syndrome or MCAS. That fortuitous night when I discovered that um, disease, you know, it was probably around 2014 ish, 24, yeah, it was probably around 2014, 2015. 
And, um, and that led me down a path of um, connecting with one of the leaders in, in mast cell activation syndrome, uh, Dr. Lawrence Afrin, who actually wound up joining me in my practice in 2017. And together we're researching, we're, we're pub publishing, we're trying to get the word out about um, and trying to help more and more patients who suffer from this condition that is actually not that uncommon, yet um, yet the medical um, establishment really hasn't come around yet to, to really fully embracing it and understanding um, these patients and how to, how to treat them. So that's sort of my, my journey to where I am now. I have, a, I have a practice in Westchester County, New York. It's a little bit north of New York City. Um, it's called AIM Center for Personalized Medicine. And here um, we have, I have Dr. Lauren Safran, I have uh, another um, practitioner with us, and, and we work on helping patients get to the root cause of their issues. And we look at all the things, and, and very often mast cell activation syndrome is a big part of it. Um, and so, um, so that's kind of, that's been been like the, the quick version of my journey to where I am now. I'm really feeling, you know, I feel committed. I've been committed, very passionate about helping patients that just don't get the answers that they need. Um, and it's not that that medicine has, has doesn't have the answers. The answers are there, just, um, just the, the doctors and the practitioners have not dig, dug deep enough to get to them, right? All the answers are there. We need more research. We always need more, but but it's trying to help those patients um, discover these things that we know are there and to help them understand their body and to help them find a path to healing. And um, and I just know that there are answers there for patients. And that's why I'm committed to, I, I there, there, it can't be, there can't be something that we don't know yet. We, we have to figure it out. So that's kind of how I, I look at it. Mm -hmm. So what do you do if a patient comes to you who's been to multiple doctors and they've been told there's nothing wrong with you? It's all in your mind. How do you address this patient's concerns who's upset knowing that there is something wrong and having been told there is nothing wrong? Yeah, actually, that just drives me crazy. I, I really, I really hate that patients are treated in that way and not um, validated. You know, sure, things that happen to you could cause stress and anxiety and depression. And I'm not minimizing that that those things are real and can happen, but um, they're very rarely the cause of the illness and the illness may be driving some of that, but but the fact that doctors can't see that and can't understand that really I, it really hurts. Um, what I tell patients is that the answers are there. We just have to we have to start to chip away at it and and do the testing. Um, sometimes we we do testing. We don't have all the answers, but through trial and error and and process of elimination, we will figure it out. There has to be an answer. And I'm committed and and relentless at trying to figure it out with patients. I think I think they deserve that. Mm -hmm. So, what is your protocol once you have done the testing and you've found what you would think are the initial root causes? Because I mean, you have to start somewhere. You know, you can't just go straight in. What do you actually? What therapies do you use? 
So I really do, I, I, I use a combination of things at my disposal. I uh, obviously have been trained um, in uh, conventional medicine. There's a lot of good that has come out of modern medicine. So I, if there are medications that patients need, I absolutely, you know, will use them. Um, I, I think that um, in this world, there seems to be a real, like a, like a chasm between, you know, people who do more holistic or integrative medicine and people who do conventional. And I really sit in that middle gray zone because you really need both. I feel I'm a firm believer in that. We've got to find the right thing for the patient. So, so sometimes it's, if I feel like mast cell activation syndrome is a, a big part of the issue, we're going to start to work on that. And that could be through medication. It could be that they need more, um, They maybe they need supplements, maybe they have uh, various uh, nutritional uh, deficiencies or other things. So I'm going to start to work on that. I kind of think of it as, I'm going to send a, set the foundation for them. I really need to figure out what is going to stabilize them the most, and then I'm going to build on that. And so that foundation is different for everybody. Some people need need a, um, more work on the foundation, and some people, the foundation is not bad. It's just that everything else after that has sort of uh, gone awry. So, um, so again, I'm using lots of different modalities. We have, I have the option to use uh, more alternative treatments. I hate to say that, but I'll, we'll call it alternative. I have, um, you know, IV therapy, ozone therapy, uh, nutritional supplements, but I also have the ability to use the pharmaceuticals when they're needed. And, and sometimes, and, and very often they are needed and most patients need, need a combination of both. So I'm stabilizing them. And then I'm, and then I'm keeping, I keep digging deeper to see what may be driving their immune dysfunction, what's driving their body to react in a certain way or, or do the things that it's doing. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process. So I have lots of tools, which I think is, which is good. And what age range do you cover? So typically um, I see patients, well, you know, the, the, uh, you know, you could be 100 or over and I'll see you, right? So the end range is is indefinite. Um, I don't see like the little, little ones, but, you know, I will start say, seeing patients usually in that adolescent um, age or, you know, early teenager, uh, 10, 11, 12, um, up until, you know, infinity, I guess, however old. Have you found more and more children are getting these conditions? Yeah more and more. And, um, and that really saddens me. I think there are, but I'm an optimist and I'm going to keep working at trying to find um, the reason and also just to keep continue to, to help advocate for these kids and to help uh, their families and, the, and them. Um, you know, I think that unfortunately we live in a fairly toxic world and I, I hate to sound like a Debbie Downer, you know, we do breathe in, we eat, we we are exposed to things that hundreds of years ago, humans were not exposed to. And so our immune system is being exposed to lots of things that that it didn't have to deal with um, uh, years, many, many, many years ago. So, um, so you can imagine that that will take its toll on the immune system, um, on the cells of the body, and on and and then just create stressors again that that uh, are beyond what our bodies are used to, and so yeah, I think that um, what we're seeing is that uh, yeah, younger and younger uh, people are afflicted. 
Um, we certainly see a, a, a familial um, kind of predisposition. So it's not uncommon to see these things in families. But but it seems, and I and I, I this may be premature. We don't we certainly don't have research, but it seems like the younger generation may be more afflicted than some of the older generations. So I have families where I'm, I'm seeing three generations: the grandmother, the mother, the child. And um, you know, I would say that you know, believe it or not, the grandmother actually may be healthier in some ways and less. Uh, dealing with with less uh, reactivity or issues with their immune system compared to the the mother of the child who may have a little bit more and is still maybe not of perfect health but you know kind of knows how to deal with it and then the child is the one that that suffers the most and I, we're we're starting to see that trend um, which you know really means that we've got to we've got to get our act together in this world and try to figure out how to make it a safer environment that's a whole mm-hmm. other topic. <laughs> do you do genetic testing? I do. I do. You know, I wouldn't consider myself a geneticist. And if it's a complex issue, you know, I will refer to geneticists. But there are some um, genetic tests that can be very helpful in understanding um, some of the things that that we're seeing. I think validating some of the things also can be, it can be very, very helpful. If a patient knows that they have a particular gene that causes, let's say, um, maybe their connective tissue to be um, more um, less stable, let's say. They maybe have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobility syndromes. If we find a gene, it's not always easy to do, but if we find a gene, um, maybe that, again, validates you know what they've known their whole life. Um, there's no genetic test for this condition, MCAS, that I talked about, um, but there are other genes or other genetic issues that may drive that Condition. So sometimes looking for that, uh, we look at things like autoinflammatory syndromes, which, which have treatments. Actually, one of the, one of the nice things about genetic testing, in some level, is that that we are starting to have some answers for what to do about it. You know, I used to think, well, why do a genetic test if you don't have a solution? And now we're starting to get to the point where there may be, in some instances, you know, a, a solution, and that's why you start to test. The good thing about science is you're learning something new all the time. Every day. Every day. That's fantastic. Yeah. So do you only see people in your office or do you see um, people virtually? So right now we are requiring patients to have um, a visit in person, at least for their initial visit. Um, I think it's really important. I, I think that I know there are a lot of practitioners who are trying to, you know, take care of patients remotely, and and there's certainly a need for that. But there is something that gets missed when you don't have the opportunity to actually hands-on examine the patient. It's the lost art of medicine. No one learns anymore how to do a physical exam. I find things on exam all the time, thyroid cancers, other things that, that because no one has put their hands on that patient and it's missed. So I feel very strongly about being able to see the patient and do that because I would never want to miss something because my role again is just to figure all the pieces out. So, so they do have to come in and, and, but then, but then after that, a lot can be done remotely. And how do people get hold of you? What's your website? 
Um, so I have a, I have a couple of websites. Um, my my uh, personal uh, website uh, that talks about me and and my work and links to the practice website um, is uh, it's drtanyademsey.com, and my practice website is aim a i m center p m p as in Peter m as in Mary so it's aimcenterpm.com. Um, and it's, again, the practice is aimed center for personalized medicine. But if they Google my name, Dr. Tanya Dempsey, I mean, lots of things come up. And I I, uh, I blog a lot. I, I have a presence on Instagram and um, Facebook. And I try to get as much education as I can out there um, because I know I can't see everybody. So to give patients the tools and the resources for them to help themselves or to bring to other practitioners, right? That's, a, that's really important to me. Do you have a waiting list? I, I do, um, un unfortunately. Um, the good news is that um, I have colleagues in the office who are able to see uh, the, uh, a lot of the patients now. So uh, Dr. Uh, Lawrence Afrin, he um, he does not have a waiting list and, and has seen patients for MCAS. Um, I have uh, Dr. Colin Renard, who's a PA with a really, really great background and obviously has been trained by me. Um, and so he has availability to see these patients and we collaborate all the time and we have meetings all the time about patients. So the patients do benefit, you know, from coming here, even if they can't, you know, personally see me. 2023 is closed for now, uh, but I hope in 2024 to open up my panel again. Mm -hmm. And where are you based? So I'm in New York. I'm I'm um, in a, the suburbs of New York City, about 30 miles north of the city. Uh, the town is called Purchase, New York, um, and it's in Westchester County is what it's called. Well, thank you very much for having spoken to us today. Thank you for having me. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, Linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.